Welcome to Practically Political. It's great to have you back with us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield, and we are wishing you all happy holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. And as Carrie would say, let's get right to it. Carrie, as you may have heard, the James Comer and the Oversight Committee um, turned down an invitation from Hunter Biden to testify because he wanted to do it live. He wanted the American people to see what was going on. And of course, that my opinion, that doesn't fit with the strategy, but it just makes me ask once for once for all, what are they hiding? And isn't it ready? Aren't you ready to finally admit that this Hunter Biden thing is a big nothing burger? Well, my understanding is that the reason why they turned down this is because he has rejected the protocol, which is to first testify privately. So that's the issue. They're not opposed to him testifying publicly. It's just they want to follow that regular order. You know, I remember a time when folks said that they wanted regular order around here and yet not here. So I think uh, when you're talking about the potential compromise uh, of the family in the Oval Office, that that's something that should be looked at seriously. Um, And the fact that he I mean, he's been charged with very serious crimes. I, I wouldn't call them a nothing burger at all. Um, he's been charged with serious weapons violations, um, serious drug crimes. Um, so I, I think they're worth looking at. Uh, and then obviously the potential impact of his father, that's obviously the most important part. But his even if it wasn't his famous father, um, the crimes alone are serious. Well, I, I would say, first of all, the notion of regular order in any group that's serving Donald Trump, I think, is laughable. But Putting that aside, uh, I think that the, first of all, the gun crimes and the drug uh, issues are out in the open. I mean, he, he, you know, he's pleaded guilty to those. So there, there's no issue with that. Obviously, the issue is the issue with Joe Biden. And, you know, you can say regular order. But my reason for this not happening was because the last time they had uh, anyone testify, I remember it was Devin Archer who testified. He was supposed to be this star witness. Well, as it turned out, uh, what he said in private and what he said in public, at least if you watch Fox News and those other channels, were totally different. So, so, so they, they, they spun it. But literally, you look at this last charge. It was Joe Biden received direct payments, $1,380. It was a car payment. Wow, let's buy a house and a new plane with that one. So it's just, and again, there's been still no proof of direct linkage to Joe Biden, despite all their efforts, but let's take a step back and ask, why is this happening, right? There's always a motive here. And the motive is today's Republican Party obviously doesn't have any principles or any policies. It's about, you know, it's a cult of personality, right? So we have to protect the leader. And as you may notice, Trump over the weekend, as man boys do, was getting into the I know you are, but what am I strategy of saying Biden is the threat to democracy and he's the most corrupt president in history and all this stuff. And surprise, sure enough, I've already heard a couple of MAGA people talking about, oh, it looks like we're going to have two impeached presidents. So this is the whole thing. The worse you make your opponent look, the less bad you look. And that's the entire strategy behind all this stuff. They know they don't have a proof, but the only prayer with Trump is to make Biden look so bad, as was the case with Hillary. And Hillary did really have some ethical problems, much more than Biden, I would say, in all fairness. That's the strategy. You, you, you can't argue with that. Come on. 
I, I think uh, his he had no business being on the Burisma board. The only qualification he had was that his name was Biden. Uh, and there was rampant corruption in Ukraine at the time. And I mean, this, it's, it's actually good to ask questions, Dave. That's part of what democracy is, to ask questions. So I, think, I agree. I think it's and they've been asking a lot of questions and they've been answered. But again, you're conflating two different issues. I agree. Hunter Biden is a shady character. He's a drug addict. He improperly used his dad's influence to get on boards. He would call up his dad when he was trying to raise money and talk to him just because to show that he had this connection, even though, again, there's no proof that Biden ever did anything. So, yes, I'm not well, defending Hunter yeah, Biden. You know what, Dave? I mean, and by the way, look at the loads. This is a $1,380 check. Look at, uh, I mean, Jared Kushner has made billions. Look at what Don Jr. and and Ivanka have done. You know, again, it's the the hypocrisy here. It's just incredible. But there, again, you still haven't addressed the question. Where's the smoking gun with Joe Biden? There's no direct proof, despite what a dirtbag Hunter may be, that President Biden did anything. Well, I mean, Dave, you know that. No, Dave, the goalpost keeps getting moved because you hear what the White, the White House said. He never talked about business dealings with his son or his colleagues ever. And then it's like, oh, we're moving the goalpost. You know, he might have once they had dozens of contacts recorded that he could not refute. Oh, you know. Okay, maybe he did talk to with some of them, but he talked about the weather. Give me a break, Dave. Like I wasn't. The bottom line is there's the still weather. no direct proof, Carrie. So you're, like, you're, you're you're talking smoke. You still have no fire. Excuse me, I didn't get to finish. You also have a text okay. message from Hunter Biden saying in a written text message to another member of his family saying that my father takes a percentage of my income. He said that. So, and then you have other messages where he's saying, I got to give 10% to the big guy. You have, so it, 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 to me, it, the White House alone obfuscating and lying and saying he never spoke to the colleagues. And then it's saying, oh, he did speak to the colleagues, but he spoke about the weather. I'm sorry, but it, like, that's part of why you have an investigation is because the goalposts keep moving and they're going to keep getting moved. And it seems like you don't care how far the goalposts move because you hate Donald Trump that much. And honestly, I think this has more to do, uh, I think it's possible to walk and chew gum uh, as far as pursue a policy agenda and investigate whether there's been corruption uh, linking um, undue influence to Joe Biden himself and, and, and also the Chinese government as well. Um, there's just a lot of questions around it. So anyway, I think we should move to the next topic. Which is- Okay, well, as I said, I, there's still no, there's still, you're, this is all smoke in my opinion. But go ahead. Fire away. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, since you're there in California, uh, what's your read on this Newsom versus DeSantis debate? Because it was, I thought the, the zinger of the night was when uh, DeSantis said, I was talking to a gentleman who had told me that he had left California because of the terrible policies. Well, it turns out that guy is actually Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. Uh, and when you're looking at things like the unemployment rate compared to Florida versus California, business formation, personal income, population migration, energy prices, taxes and spending, pensions, Medicaid, homelessness, deficit, student learning. Uh, hands down, there is just California is behind the curve, behind Florida. That was my read on a policy level. But what was your read on the debate? Well, I let's I look at it from certain angles. I think in terms of substance. I think it was a draw. 
Okay, I think they both got some zingers in, and I think that you know that that it was both. It was it was. I don't think anybody won. Now, if it comes to the expectations, I would say DeSantis probably won because I think just people knew Newsom was a skilled debater. DeSantis, even though he looks very wooden and still I don't think is very appealing, and he has no chance of being the nominee because of that. But I thought he was good in terms of thinking on his feet, and I thought they each had some good zingers. Um, and again, you know, uh, I would say that in terms of the uh, 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 policies, again, you can argue, yes, uh, Florida is better in some ways. And I think prior to uh, the 2020 election, you could argue that there was you could have made the rest of the country like Florida. But then starting around April 21, right? A couple of months after the vaccines became available, that's when DeSantis started going off the deep end and becoming so Trumpy. And that's what Greg Abbott did in Texas. It started where he banned vaccine mandates, which is ridiculous. Who the hell are you to tell a business, the cruise industry, that they can't require vaccinations? You know, then he signed a six-week abortion ban, and that's why, and you know, a, a bill that allowed 12-year-olds to carry guns without permits, which is why California... Uh, is has a 60% lower homicide rate per capita than Florida does. And California per capita has created more jobs. Uh, so the, you, you can make arguments either way. Now, do I have a real problem with both states? Yes, I think it, it's a perfect encapsulation of either things are too blue or too red. That's why I like states where you have, a state like Kentucky, where you have a Democratic governor who just got reelected who in a state that Trump won by 26 points and things work because when you have, and Chris Christie to a certain extent did this in New Jersey, when you have a Republican legislature and a democratic governor or vice versa, as you do in New Hampshire, things get done because politics works the way it's supposed to work. But when you have all one, all blue or all red, it's just not as good. I think we could agree on that at least. Well, I, I think it is good when you can have people talk to each other. I think that's good. Uh, and yeah, I think Bashir is is more moderate uh, as far as Democrats are concerned. And that is a more dying breed. So I would like to see more moderate Democrats. That's for sure. Um, and more moderate Republicans, both. Well, yeah. And I live in Virginia, which, uh, you know, and our Senate just turned blue. Yeah. Or sorry, our House turned blue. We had a blue Senate also. So now both chambers are blue and the governor is red. So you've got a bipartisan state. And uh, I mean, I, I enjoy living in Virginia. I, I think uh, overall, though, Florida, like all those metrics that I did mention, totally beating California. And uh, the fact that you're having so many high profile businesses moving to Florida, like Jeff Bezos, and he, now he wants to move Amazon to Florida. Um, Citadel Financial from Chicago to Florida, a ton of businesses moving from New York. and um, to Florida. So in Texas also, when you look at the overall migration patterns during COVID and post COVID, it's for the most part flowing away from blue states into red states like Texas, like Utah. Actually, Utah has been really problematic for my family who's been there for, you know, now century and a half. Uh, my ancestors, the property values are being driven up to the point where my cousin and her husband, they have two young kids. Like they had, six offers rejected, um, whereas a generation ago, they could have had their first home very easily. So, and they're worried that they're going to bring the values that they're running away from to a red state. 
it's like, okay, let's connect. Why are you leaving your blue state? Because your policies are terrible. And now you're going to import those voting patterns here. Uh, It's concerning. Well, let me say a couple of things. Uh, First, a point on what you said, and then an overall point on the debate. Uh, The reason people leave California is not because of high taxes. California, yes, yes, there are some wealthy people that are leaving. That's true. But California's tax system is actually very progressive. The reason people, though it is high, yes, the reason people are leaving is because lack of, of affordable housing, which means cost of living. And I will say, being fair, blue states are the problem because the main reason there's a lack of affordable housing in California is because many communities like Palo Alto and these communities in the heart of Silicon Valley will not approve multi-zone housing in so many neighborhoods. So you can't build affordable housing. That is the main reason people are leaving California and California is to blame for it. Now, as far as the debate goes, putting aside the substance of the debate, I was so wishing that this was the debate we were actually having. Now, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom would would not be my two choices for candidates, but those type of candidates, governors, first of all, governors make better presidents than businessmen or congressmen or senators. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they are young, they are with it, they're not deranged, they're not too old, like the two candidates we have, one of them's deranged, one of them's too old. So, you, you know, I just wish that this is the debate that America deserves, that I wish we were having, two younger governors. And I'm hoping that uh, after this, Trump will finally go away. Uh, and I'm still hoping that Biden's going to be replaced, but we can talk about that on another show. So um, my question for you is, in terms of funding, okay, the, as you know, the uh, Senate Democrats just presented a $100 billion plus uh, bill that would add, have additional funding for Ukraine because they're going to run out of money in the end of the month funding for Israel, but there's a big fight over the whole border security issue. So in your mind, how should this issue be handled? Should we, cons- should we consider, should we still fund uh, Ukraine? Should we give Israel money with uh, conditions? Uh, and should we make a contingent on funding to the border? What say Carrie Sheffield? Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting, you know, Who's, who's ever disagreeing with the tying, the packaging, it's like, okay, should we tie Israel and Ukraine? No, but people do the same principle with other things too. And it's kind of one of these political games. But I mean, as far as like allowing people to vote their conscience or what they think is right on funding for Israel versus funding for Ukraine, I think it should be separate because they are two separate theaters. Um I think what was really interesting, there was an American Enterprise Institute scholar who had an op-ed recently showing how the vast majority of money that's already been spent to uh, for Ukraine was actually spent in the U.S. It was uh, by manufacturers who are in the U.S. And so his point was to say that uh, it's actually helping create American jobs by funding Ukraine in the sense that the weapon systems and, uh, you know, all the just basically the the actual mechanics, the the hardware that we are shipping or using um, in Ukraine is actually created here. And that was, I thought, very interesting and something that he mentioned that people like J.D. Vance have not mentioned. And that's part of why he wrote the op-ed to highlight that. Um, And so I thought that's a very important point to make because we do want to hire American 
workers. Uh, my only concern with that is that they're not sustainable jobs and it is taxpayer funding, you know, that it's going to still load up our debt, which we cannot afford. Um, and it is. But what about the question in terms of how should the funding be voted on? Should it be tied to more money for the border? Should Israel's money come with contingencies? Because a lot of people are saying, hey, we, we want to support Israel, but Israel is really hurting themselves by uh, turning Gaza into rubble. Uh, so what, what do you think on those two points? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think we should support Israel. I think the what's happening with Palestine is unfortunately a result of Hamas and what Hamas is doing. Um, and that's that's the point that's missed in all you know the people who are protesting against Israel. It's Hamas who is breaking the rules of war. It's Hamas who oh, is I agree. human shields. No, I, I agree. I mean, but my, my point is, are, I think... Are, I lay the, the, the responsibility for the deaths of the Palestinians at the feet of Hamas. Um, and Israel has the right to go in and defend themselves and eradicate Hamas, which which in its founding charter says it wants to eradicate Israel. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, I, I think... Um, I mean, they, they have their own security failures that led to October 7th that they have to grapple with. And Netanyahu is d- despicable. I mean, I just get him out of there. I mean, he's a major reason. It was his policies of trying to gut the judiciary, because like Trump, he's running to stay out of jail, uh, that divided and distracted the country and was directly responsible for a lot of this happening. Do you agree with that? I, well, I mean, his intelligence forces failed. So in that respect, his intelligence forces failed. But yes. do you think but he I, had he had just do you think he had divided and distracted the country way more than necessary? And that was a factor. I, th- I think the Israeli judiciary has way too much power. So I think no, that, that wasn't was, my question, though. Yes or no. Do you think he that he distracted the country and divided the country and that led that contributed to Israel being vulnerable? I, th- I don't think those are separate. I think they're totally separate issues. How, how would you won't you won't answer that question? No, I don't. I, okay, my answer question. is no. They're, they're, they're not separate issues. They are separate he, issues. How how on earth would would domestic political bickering and innocent people being slaughtered at a film festival or a music festival be related to uh, political debates about the judiciary? I will uh, let me explain. Not, I'd be happy not, to explain. They're not related at all. Also, yes, the, the, no, they're the, not. The tactics of Hamas. I spoke to a, a right again. I spoke to a retired three-star general about this. The the failure in the U.S. the failure of intelligence gathering was the fact that they had relied in the past the Israeli defense and also Western our own. Why didn't we Why didn't we give them a, a heads up? Right, because right. Hamas was using tactics of human intelligence as opposed to signal intelligence or intercepted electronic communication. They, w- they went back in time. They were using paper. Did you, did you see the article that, that Israel knew up to a year ahead exactly what Hamas was going to do and didn't do anything? Did, did you see that? Is, Israel, that is Israel responsible for that? What if we had such blatant signs about 9-11 a year ahead and we, and we knew exactly that, that uh, Al-Qaeda was going to fly jets into skyscrapers they had said so, and we didn't do anything. Would you still be as dismissive? I don't think it has anything to do with the judiciary. That's my point. I don't think they're related. All right. Just let, let me respond to that. The reason it does, and again, there's two separate issues. First of all, what Hamas did was despicable. Okay, they violated everything. They're responsible for this. And the fact that some of these, that you have people that are trying to equate what Israel's doing in Gaza to what Hamas did, where they were raping women and shooting them. It's not even, believe me, okay, I'm not, what Hamas did was terrible. But again, you're conflating two separate issues. My point is, 
because Benjamin not Netanyahu tried to gut the judiciary, tried to, to hinder democracy in his own country. And by the way, you had military, you had intelligence people and you had people in the army saying, I'm not going to serve under this. And what was the direct response of that? A consequence of that? It took eight to 10 hours for them to get soldiers down uh, to where the music festival was and to where that kibbutz that's right near Gaza was because they couldn't get people together. The army was in such disarray. And that was a direct response. That was a direct consequence of Netanyahu's, Netanyahu's distraction. I'm really kind of surprised that you won't even criticize him. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not what I suspected. But let me just say one other thing. What Israel should do, and again, first of all, I'm very skeptical when people say that they can uh, eliminate a terrorist group because terrorist groups are causes. They're like hydras. They're multi-headed. So I, I'm skeptical of that. But putting that aside, they have a right and obligation to defend themselves. But turning Gaza into rubble does nothing. What they should have done is surrounded Gaza, okay, made a huge security zone in northern Gaza, allowed people in and out, and starved Hamas. They were going to run out of fuel. They were going to run out of water. They were going to run out of food. Starve them into negotiation. And then you, you allow them, you allow the fighters a safe passage out, and then you get the hostages back. That's the way it should be done. But by turning Gaza into rubble, all Israel do, is doing is hurting themselves on the world stage. So anyway, fire, fire at me. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to hear your take on this also because we have breaking news, and I know you have strong feelings about him. Kevin McCarthy, he's retiring. Are you happy? No, I'm actually kind of sad uh, in a sense, because I think that um, whatever you think of Kevin McCarthy, and I've told you the problems I have with him, I think he's weak. I think he was the one that went down and kissed the ring and was the, I think the Republican Party had its best off-ramp opportunity ever after January 6th to finally get past Trump. And then when Kevin McCarthy went down and kissed the ring and because oh, I heard the president's so depressed he's not eating. Well, maybe not eating would be good for the president, but putting that aside, my Kevin, as Trump used to affectionately call him, went running down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss his ring, and that's what started the whole thing. But having said all that, he was doing the job as speaker that speakers need to do. And his problem was that he was ruling by fear, and he was allowing anyone. So I was sorry that it happened. And by the way, Mike Johnson, when he passed that resolution to keep the government open, that's exactly what Kevin McCarthy got impeached for. So now maybe Johnson has a honeymoon, but eventually. So, no, I, I think it's just sad. And it's a sad reflection as to the state of today's Republican Party. These guys like Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, name me one bill that they've passed. Or name one good thing they've done. All they do is blow things up. So I think they're better off in the minority and hopefully in January they will be. How do you, th what's your feeling? Well, I, I think it's, I mean, I've said this before, the fact that he lost the speakership for making a bipartisan move, he was trying to get the government funded and he got some Democrats to cross over and that's how he got the money, the, the funding. And then those same yeah. Democrats turned around and stabbed him in the back even though he was trying that's to be That's not fair, Carrie. So that's not fair because that he went right on TV after that bill was passed and he dissed Democrats. So he 
he brought a lot of this on himself. You know, it's if if you and I make an agreement and you hold a press conference and you ream me in the press conference, you know, it's not going to endear me to you. So, uh, I mean, that's what that's what happened with McCarthy. So he he made his own bed. But anyway, I agree. It is it is kind of sad. Because he was actually trying to get stuff done. And, you know, I, I to my knowledge, he did not ream the Democrats who actually voted. Did he actually ream the specific Democrats who before before the vote happened? Did he insult? Uh, the there were. Yeah, it was it was after after the vote, it, after the vote, it happened. Um, well, I don't that, remember the, that, that is, I don't that remember is very this. different. That's very different. That's after the vote. I'm saying. Before right. So he gets so Democrats support him and then and then he goes out and attacks them. It would be, it, it would have been, after, so. You're saying after the CR, the funding vote. Uh, yeah, after the CR vote. Oh, I thought, I exactly. thought after the speakership vote. No, not after the speakership vote, after the CR vote. So, so, so again, it's very sad, but he, he did make his own bed. And, you know, it, it, what also made me sad is that Tom Emmer, and again, I'm not a huge fan of Tom Emmer. I have my issues with him, but at least he had experience and he would have been certainly a better speaker than Mike Johnson. But again, what was Tom Emmer's grave crime? His grave crime was he had the temerity to vote after the insurrection to certify the election. That's how bad things have got in today's Republican Party, is that you literally, you vote to certify the election after an insurrection, and that's still a death sentence in MAGA world. I mean, can't you admit that that is kind of sad? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, you should be able to vote how you want it in that. Um, but, but the fact that he got dinged for it, that's the reason. Trump, again, said, oh, this guy's terrible. He's, he's still in office and he's still the whip, right? Yeah, but he, he would have been, he was more qualified to be speaker. That's the, num- that's the only reason he wasn't speaker was because he voted to certify the election. I mean, that's, I mean, isn't that pathetic? I should know this already. Today's Republican Party has come to that state. Well, I, I think, look. Yes. I don't think that, I I think, I don't think that was the only reason. I think it was, I think part of why they went with Mike Johnson is because he was an unknown quantity. I think people were, fed up with what they perceived as the people who had been around the block, the quote unquote mm-hmm. establishment. And that's why I don't think it was that. I don't think that was a singular reason. I really don't. Um, but well. I, and I think that's, yeah, that's why, cause Mike Johnson, he was not, not part of leadership. So they wanted somebody fresh and that's part of why that's part of why they went with him. Well, that, that's true that he, he, he didn't have the baggage. Uh, that, that is very true, but there was no other reason that was given for Tom Emmer not being elected speaker other than the fact that he opposed or he had the temerity, he had the, you know, the audacity to, to uh, certify, to vote, to certify the election. So we will see, I guess the issue is, you know, do, do voters care? Because I think it's been shown that, and, and the biggest proof of this was when uh, you had all these Republicans saying when McConnell stole the Supreme Court seat, oh, my God, it's less than a year. I can promise you if there's a Republican president and this happens, we will wait till the next election. Then Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies a month before the election. They ram some religious zealot through and nobody cares. I mean, that was amazing. 
a month before the election, they weren't penalized for it. So anytime someone tells you the American people care about process, don't believe it for a second, because that was the ultimate proof. Anyway, I think we'll have to leave it there. Another great show. And again, we all of us here wish all of you the happiest of holidays. We will hopefully be doing our next show maybe on the road. But in the meantime, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Happy holidays. We'll catch you soon. Thank you.